Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And we are back for episode two of Cracker, To Say I Love You, which is, I mean, don't get me wrong. The first episode of Cracker is fantastic. I really enjoyed that episode. But what it's missing is what you come to Cracker for, uh, which is Fitz sitting in a room with the killer. Yeah. That's why we're here. And as the show goes on, if you're watching along with us, you'll see some truly incredible television that involves Fitz sitting in a room with the killer. And this is the first time that happens. And damn, is it powerful. Well, this episode is definitely, like, the introductory episode was fine, but this yep. episode, you know, if you don't feel sorry for these two people by the time you oh get to my this episode... God. Um, you, you, you don't have a heart. Well, and I mean, that's the genius of this show. And it was the genius, uh, like, in all of them. Because we always talk about, well, are serial killers made or are they born? And obviously they're made. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe people are debating this. It's so obvious <laughs> that they're made. And that is, the, that is what this show is about. It's yeah. where these people come from. And in the first episode, you wouldn't know that if you watched it, right? Uh, you wouldn't know that if you watched the first episode, because the first episode gets into, because we don't spend any time with the actual killer. No, I mean, Fitz uh, yeah, has his good you. theory about the motivation and how you can figure out his motivation based on his MO, right? And it's really good. And we have to assume he's right, because he's able to predict the guy's behavior. But we never spend any time with the killer. No, because we have to spend time with the amnesiac. Exactly. And it's a, and oh. he's a wonderful character, and I love all those scenes. It's not a complaint, but it's just an observation. But, yeah. like, because that's not what the show's about. It's very interesting, because that one is about him proving through his interviews that the guy couldn't possibly be yeah, the killer. the killer. Yeah. And in this one, it is, um, it, it, it is so, it is so horrible um, oh, well, no, but it's, it's like you say, how can you for a second not, I mean, I'm not saying I'm on the killer's side. No, no. But completely understand how this happened and how unbelievably avoidable all of this was. None of this well, had I to happen. I think it's the unbelievably avoidable part. That makes it so tragic. That makes it so tra tragic. Yeah. I mean, in the first episode we see, Fitz says, this has to happen. We'll get to it, right, as we go along. But this has to happen. And, of course, the cops are going, no, blah, blah, blah. We're not doing that. That would be mollycoddling. Yeah. And cops have to live with mm -hmm. the results. And yeah. because it's not that Fitz knows this guy is going to go off and kill people. But we'll talk about it, right? Uh, we'll talk about that as we go. Uh, yeah. So, yes, the episode opens very interestingly. Like, I'm not saying it's completely off-brand, because the show doesn't have a brand yet. And, in fact, hanging out with the killers before they do their crime is something we're going to see more than a little of. But yeah. it opens in a really interesting way, because you don't see right away. As I haven't seen this in, you know, two decades. I don't yeah. remember how it, it's going to get there. Like, no. I know these are the killers. I remember the basics of this being the Bonnie and Clyde episode, yeah. but I didn't remember how we got there. 
and we spend so much time, and this is the good part about them giving three hours to this episode, is it we needs- get to spend, so, you need it to spend that this amount of time with the villains. Uh, because we see this guy singing karaoke and being okay at it, and this woman who's attracted to him, and then we find out that when he's not singing, he can't speak. He has an unbelievably bad stutter. Right? And to, she manages yeah. to understand what he's saying. Yeah. She can listen and she can communicate with him. And that's all they need to become a couple. And then right away, like soon after they get together, we don't know exactly how long, but soon after they get together, we see her lone shark show up and rough them up and, you know, come and take whatever small property they have, including, of note, all of his trophies from being good at karaoke. Yeah. And again, it wouldn't seem like anything meaningful. These are not valuable things, but it's what they represent to the two of them. Yeah. Right? Because this is the one place where he can, one way he can express himself in public. But we also learn that the other way we can express himself is when he gets angry. Angry, angry, and then he has no stutter at all. No, his stutter completely disappears when he's angry. Yeah. Which, of course, is going to be very important later. And uh, and meanwhile, we have Fitz's wife coming up to Fitz and saying, I'm willing to negotiate coming home, but you have to not gamble. It's worse than that. These are the terms. Yes, Exactly. Right, it's not even a negotiation. I said that a little inappropriately. Wasn't a negotiation. No, like these are how it is. You can't gamble. But it's not even can't gamble. It's uh, not only can you not gamble, the house goes in my name 100%. And if you ever write a check on our joint accounts, both of us have to sign it. Yes, there are no, yes, there are no single checks to be no written. No single checks anymore. They're all joint. And you have to agree to that before I come home. And oh my God, the brutality of the next scene forfeits. Uh, and you're like, oh, you're so frustrated by him as a person. Yeah. <laughs> because I he mean, goes that's... and he thinks he's going to quote unquote own her by like showing off, here are all of the here are all of the nice things I bought you when I won. How can you complain about my gambling? And her response is, you'll notice I didn't take any of them with me when I left. (laughs) Because spoiler alert, showering me with good stuff when you won was something you did for you. Yeah. So you could feel like a big man. And assuage your guilt over all the times you lose. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, just, they almost lost their friggin' house. Yep. Oh, hey, I looked something up, and this is kind of crazy. Do you watch Ted Lasso? No. Okay, you should probably start watching Ted Lasso. Yeah, but I know. So, no, it's just, uh, yeah, the guy who played uh, who plays his son was on Ted Lasso in an important part, and I didn't recognize him at all because it's, you know, 30 years later. But yeah, it's the guy who played Cracker's son playing uh, Jamie's dad on Ted Lasso. For anyone watching Ted Lasso. Oh, <laughs> yeah. When you see the character, you'll be like, I didn't recognize him at all. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's very interesting. Anyway, uh, but yes, the son is there and that's going to be his son, of course, did stay and that's going to be important later. All right. Uh, uh, it's just 
I, I want to jump ahead and like this episode makes me want to just jump ahead and talk about all of the amazing stuff that happens in it. Because it's such a good episode, like both on the killer half of the story and the Fitz's life half of the story. Yeah. The way it all mixes together. Oh, all right. So. I don't know where you, yeah, yeah, that's it. Because normally we do this chronologically and there's this great tendency to want to just jump either around but... one or deal with the other, deal with them separately. Yeah. <laughs> because it's um, the Fitz story. And what's interesting is that this story makes you feel so sorry for the two killers. Yeah. Right? Uh, not that you not that you think they shouldn't go to jail that's yeah. not the issue no it's but you just you just see how somehow or another the folly à deux yeah occurred how it happened it was kind of a it wasn't intentional it might never have happened yeah um you know well, and no, then, but it's like you got the other one is that you have fits that you can't stay away from but you don't particularly like him no this is not somebody I would want in my life mm -hmm. at all, right? It, it, he's you. If you're going to feel sorry for anybody, you feel sorry for his wife. Oh yeah. You know. Oh, you he, have to feel sorry for his wife. And who, by the way, brings along her therapist? Yeah. To negotiations. <laughs> who runs a gambling? Uh, who runs a gambling anonymous group? Yeah. Yes. Ooh, and says that he has to, and Fitz, oh, yes, she also said Fitz has to go to Gamblers Anonymous. Yes. A support group for uh, people who are problem gamblers, which, uh, you know, the thing, the story I will never get over is, uh, you remember the, and I mean, I'm, we've probably talked about it on the show before, but right, the, uh, the show Luck that t David Milch made? Yes. About how, like, you watch the show and it's so fascinating because it's such a brutal portrayal of gambling addiction. And yeah. you're like, why on earth aren't we getting any insight into why these guys can't stop gambling? It's just demonstrating them being unable to stop gambling. And you find it out it's, oh, because David Milch was a degenerate gambler who, was, who didn't understand why he couldn't stop gambling. And so he wrote a show about it. But it's like a guy who would literally, he wrote basically every episode of NYPD Blue for 12 years. And walked away with it with no money because he would get his $50,000 check for writing an episode of NYPD Blue and he would just go straight to the track with it. Yeah. And it's the same, and Fitz is the exact same kind of person. Yeah, the minute he's got money. The minute he got, uh, gets money, any money ever, he goes straight down to the dog track. Or, or in, we see him playing roulette. We yeah, see or we see him going to the casino. Yeah, and I always forget that like England has casinos, mm -hmm. and I, you know, it's like because it just seems I, I associate that so much with France, you know. Yeah, and Monaco. And... Exactly the Riviera. Yes, James Bond didn't do much gambling in England. In England, exactly. But then I found out that like uh, uh, the whole the entire lifestyle of Hugh Hefner, right, and the the whole company, like, did. I never really understood how Playboy, which was a magazine, was that popular and how they had so much money to throw around. And it wasn't until years later that I find out, oh, it, it was never that much of a moneymaker. All of the Playboy money came from the fact that they owned a casino in London. And the company crumbled 
when the casino lost its license. And that was it. Like, it was never a successful publishing company. It was a successful gaming company that no one seemed to know that. But it was, like, the most successful casino in London. And that's where all the company's money came from. So, yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. a thing. Uh, yeah, because it's like, Playboy never diversified the way a Hustler did. I was going to say. With all of his magazines and all of his journalism. <laughs> Come Gucci is a weird dude. Listen to trivia. <laughs> I know, right? But anyway, uh, so yeah, it's it's a fascinating, it is a it's a very fascinating subject of British casinos. But let's move on to uh so the woman goes to see her uh goes to see her parents and brings her boyfriend along. And they've stolen a car to do this because casual crime is just something they're comfortable with because they are living in the dregs of society. And she asks for a loan to pay off her bookie, and they refuse to give it to her unless she, you know, dumps her scumbag boyfriend and comes home. Uh, so, yeah. Obviously not a good relationship with the family, but we won't find out how bad until much later in well, the Well, it is interesting because, and they tell her to go and see her sister. Yep. You know. Mm -hmm. And you know that there's some real problems. Real there. bad blood there. Uh, we don't know what again, because it's not clear mm -hmm. what's wrong. You know, the, the sister is standing at the top of the, top of the stairs. There's a dog with her, you know, so it's yeah. the, that is what you think. Yep. Oh, that is what we are very much intended to think. You know, and... Um, it's, just... it's a very well-constructed episode because you'd never guess what was going on based on that scene. You no. know something's going on, but all of the clues are there, but you would never see it coming. Just like in the first episode, all of the priest clues were there. Yeah. You just didn't see it until you got to the end. All of the clues are there this time, too. You just would never see it until you find out. Oh, so good. And so in a fit of rage and fury and just, you know, self-destructiveness... They steal, a, they steal a bus and just go on a rampage driving this bus around. And obviously, you're like, they're obviously they're going to get caught. Yeah. You know? But except that he's driving the bus, she's sitting in it so she doesn't get caught. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But it's like they have no hope of getting away with it. They're just angry at the world. Yeah. And what's funny, I mean, they do such a nice, nice job of there's one guy who'd fallen asleep. He doesn't even wake up. I know. During the bus. And then these two women are going... But aren't we going a little fast? Oh, but we wanted to stop there. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> and it's like taking this with. Oh, okay, it doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden, all the cops are coming, and yeah. they have that. Of course, stop the bus. Yeah, and he gets arrested, and they're going to essentially let him off if he can, you know, justify probation. Right? He's not going to go to jail if he can get probation, but he has to check in. And so Fitz comes to see him, and this is where their paths cross for the first time. Yes. Now it's not that simple. I mean, no, of the, course. I mean, what you're what you're missing just to because you have to build up and to mm. understand where this guy ends up, you have yeah. to see build up and the way they treat him because he stutters. Oh God, that horrible scene that horrible where he's sitting there and he's like, "Just let me write my name down." Yeah. And they're no, like, "Nope, you got to say it." And he can barely get his name out. Yeah, and, and that's that oh. asshole with the mustache. Oh, yeah. You so know? frustrating. 
And Christopher Eccleston isn't all that much better. Nope. At all. At no, all. but yeah, the terrible mustache cop. Oh my terrible God. Terrible mustache cop. And he is just... De I mean, it's dehumanizing what he does to this kid. He Well, he does it to everybody. He does, but this especially, like, it's forcing so him to, like, essentially punishing him for having a disability. It's especially rough. What yeah. happens to this kid? And so this is where they're going to go. And Fitz has to come in to give him the first assessment. Okay, now wait a sec, though. Yeah. What you've missed is how come Fitz is at the jailhouse. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so Fitz goes, his wife, after the, the whole debacle for for dinner. Yep. Um, Fitz goes to his wife, who's living with her father, with the daughter and her father. Yeah. Oh, God. And he goes and he rings the doorbell and he rings the doorbell. And he won't leave. And he won't leave. So finally, finally. They um, call the cops on him. Calls the cops. Yeah. And uh, Fitz gets taken in mm -hmm. to sit it off. and to, to sleep it off, basically. Basically. And they've got a problem with. They've got a problem with this this kid, and so they say, look, we'll drop the charges if you just go and handle yeah, this kid. go and deal with this kid. Go and deal with this kid, and Fitz does. And it is a, it is a beautiful scene. It's Fitz. so good. And then Fitz comes out and says, look, you've got to hold him and get, get on a psychiatric assessment. You've yeah. got to. Now nah, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. That's mamby-pamby stuff. Well, no, but the key is the reason he thinks he needs to be in a psychological assessment is yeah. because he can only talk when he's angry. Angry, yes. And so he's like, he knows, he doesn't know when he's going to do something bad. But it's like, this guy can only communicate and only be in himself when he is raging. Meaning at some point, he's just going to decide rage is what he needs to be. And he's like, I don't know what's going to trigger it, but it's going to happen get him a psychiatric hold and get him into therapy. Yeah. And the cops are disinterested because as you say, that's coddling him. Yes. He's a criminal. We don't need to coddle him. And it's like, all right, well, you brought this on yourself. Well, not only that, but, but Fitz lays them a bet. Yeah. Oh, that there's going to be a, that there's going to be serious consequences if they let him go. Yep. And of course they don't want to believe him. And they don't want to believe him and they take the bet. Yeah. And, um, uh, Fitz wins that bet. Of course. We'll get there. I mean, it's. Oh, I know. I don't really care about the bet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, there's another bet uh, about who the, kill <laughs> who the killer is in a bit that's actually very funny with him and Christopher Eccleston. Uh, it's. Uh, how shall I put this? It's mordant how bleak the joke is a little later on, but we'll get there. Uh, okay. So this means now he's been sprung from jail. So he goes back to his girlfriend and they're angry at the world and they've got no money and they've got no prospect. And so the only logic is, uh, let's, let's kill the bookie. Let's rob well, and kill the bookie. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go back. Not and the get bookie. The sorry. The loan shark. The loan shark. Yeah. Let's go back and get your trophies. Yeah. And the loan shark who, uh, what, what you know who will what what do they say will sleep with anything that yeah uh, anything offered. that moves on two in a skirt 
if you will. He, it is easy enough to lure him out with the promise of sex. And yeah. that's exactly what she does. And once uh, she, he's in the alley, uh, he, the uh, <laughs> pride to her Bonnie, Sean, uh, yes. comes out and clubs him to death with a rock. Yes. And damn, uh, it's, it's brutal. It was brutal, and then they have this violent sex. Yep, after killing the guy. And then they go back to their apartment or whatever, yeah. and he's taking a shower and stuff like that. And they're, you know, they just go about living. <laughs> and so the next scene, you see the police showing up. And yep. it just goes, oh, dear. Mm -hmm. he, he can figure out exactly what's been going on. He he says there are two of them. Christopher Eccles says, no. No way. Blah, blah, blah. No, and he said, no, there's two of them and there's this is going to be a problem. Um, but what I love is this is the scene where he's like, uh, I will bet you there's two of them. And he's like, uh, and he takes how much money he has in his pocket. I got 45 pounds and Christopher Eccleston is like, fine. And they uh, they have another cop hold the money hold the yeah. 90 pounds until they find who the killer is uh which is which is a nice little beat that pays off later but he goes through all of the beats of what happened and based on the physical evidence where that there was her hair pressed up against the wall enough of it because it's got torn out by the bricks so they had sex up against the wall it all makes perfect sense right yeah like he he explains it quite extensively and it all makes perfect logical sense and of course it's exactly what happened and the show do, does a good job of you know matching the physical evidence to his suppositions yes and the, but the problem of course is the cops aren't going to believe this no they don't want to listen to him they don't want to listen to him and they send so now they have to go and talk to everybody to all this loan sharks customers although there is a great moment where i'm like the only way you can read this scene is that the loan shark's wife is happy that he's dead. Yes. Because she come like they come in and they're talking to her and it's like, so he went out with somebody? Is that something he normally does? And she's like, I don't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't see who it was. And it's like, she was there. It was quite obviously a woman he was talking to. She wasn't quiet. But it's like, this woman is not only happy her husband's dead, she's not offering any help to the police to uh, police to catch him to catch her right the killer so there you go like it's just this nice little background it's like oh no this guy was a really bad guy like yeah. nobody liked him and it's like and in fact later on we'll have the cops being so frustrated at the investigation because all we've got are people who owed him money and people who hated him yeah. well, how are we supposed to narrow this list of suspects right Oh man! Um, then we get a uh, that, but as you say, now we've got everybody has to go and check. Like everybody has to go and talk to every single one on the debtors list. Yes, which of course Includes brings everybody to Tina, the Bonnie of the Bonnie and Clyde. It's Tina yeah. and Sean. <sighs> and so the cop shows up, and the cop is a new character. We didn't see him last week. And based on Wire in the Blood, you, you you have a pretty good sense generally of what happens to new cops that we didn't see the previous week, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but yes, there's a new cop there, and he has a uh, uh, he, he goes to see them, and 
Tina's reaction to him being there is to flirt with him and claim she was at her mother's mm -hmm. and say that, well, my boyfriend's coming back at him uh, in half an hour and I don't want to, uh, you know, and I don't want him to know that uh, I owed money to this guy. So could we talk tomorrow night at around 10? It's like, so yeah, she's offering to have sex with a cop to, uh, you know, be ignored. Yeah. So and and Sean yes. Is in the background. Oh yeah, of course. Sean's hiding in the next room. Yeah. And what's so interesting is like about this scene and you tell me your thoughts on this is you feel like she is create. I mean, she is actively creating situations at this point to make it so Sean will have to murder people, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. no, I I think that she's she's not an idiot. She knows she's lied to the cops. Yeah. And there was no reason to lie to the cops. No. Nope. She didn't have to create a fake alibi. She could just say, you know, I was here alone. I was here with my boyfriend. You know, so and so like. There's everybody wanted this guy dead. No one would think it was them, you know. <laughs> but she goes out of her way to lie to the cops just to create a situation where Sean's going to have to kill somebody. That is, I'm reading that correctly, right? I think you're no, for sure. Yeah. Okay. You know, when he comes in to ask, yeah, because she didn't have to. She didn't have to do any of that. There was no, you know, she could have, as you said, it was very simple. No, she set this up because. And you and you see that because after the cop leaves and and you know so she just says to Sean, well you know he's going to find out that we lied that I lied and I guess we're going to have to kill him. Yeah, Sean's um, a little reluctant. Yep, but she says, oh no, it'll be fine. <laughs> and you see them staking out this cop who yeah. is a scumbag. Oh, he is a scumbag. Just to be clear. And he's best friends with the with the Penhaligan. mustache. I know, and Penhaligan. Like they're they're all good buddies. Yeah, that's true because Penhaligan is yeah. Oh, uh, but yeah, we'll talk about stuff with her in a second because now we're getting to her part of the story, which uh, I mean was a nice surprise because while that cop is investigating these things, she's obviously gone to talk to her people, but we don't know because we don't see any of them because they're not relevant to the story. But Fitz has asked Penhaligon out. Yes. To dinner. And we're like, oh, okay, that's an interesting change. And uh, at the same time, uh, Fitz has been predicting that this psychiatrist is only helping his wife because he wants to sleep with the wife. Yeah. And he's actually not a psychiatrist. I think he's only a therapist oh yes like he's a, only a therapist you're right he's not yeah, actually not a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist. you're right you're right I, I did use the wrong word there sorry yeah <laughs> uh but yes because he wants to sleep with his wife and so fitz understanding human nature really well goes to uh brings penhaligon to the restaurant that he and his wife frequent because he assumes that's where she and the therapist are going to end up yeah because he is the worst. And he creates a giant scene and just ruins everybody's night. And I, I'll give it to Penhaligon. She pours water on him. I know. She pours a whole jug of water. <laughs> the whole him. jug of water from the waiter on him. Because he's pretending 
that that no, is this a- is just a misunderstanding. Who could have imagined? How could I possibly have known where you were going to go to end up at dinner? It's like it's your job to. It's literally your job to know what people are going to do. Yeah, and this is your wife. And this is your wife, who you know better than anybody. Of course, you knew where she was going to go to dinner. Yeah. With this guy. Oh, and that, that's the one thing I would say about the wife. What a stupid thing to do. It was, but like. N- but if you think about yeah. it, she's trying to get back at her husband by taking yes. this man who she might, who she knows she might have sex with to their restaurant. Like it is psychologically, it makes complete sense that she's doing this. That's how he was able to predict it. Yeah. It's like, she's trying to get back at him. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the problem. This is, this is definitely not it's, a healthy relationship, no, but it's textbook. Yeah. Like it really is textbook. Uh, because then we get this wonderful scene where Penhaligon, you know, uh, we see him bringing her home. And she, uh, and of course, she's like, I don't know, should I sleep with this guy? Shouldn't I? And then uh, she invites him in, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. she's making the calculation, should I, shouldn't I? Obviously, I'm attracted to him because he's such, you know, a brash asshole. And for, that's her type, apparently. Yes. Uh, but the key is... She says that the reason that changed her mind is that she was not going to take take up with him or sleep with him if he was still trying to get back with his wife. And obviously, he's not he he's burned all of his bridges there. So, you know, it's fine if they have sex. And Robbie Coltrane Fitz doesn't understand why she thinks he's burned all of his bridges. Yeah, I mean, yes, he does have his blind spot. He has his ridiculous blind spot. You know, she says, yeah, she says, well, you know, you know uh, what made it worse. She she says to him, she's, you know, you've thrown, she's going to have sex with him now because of what you've done. Well, no, that's not until he calls her. Oh, yeah, he calls her. That's what the funny part, he says, what do you mean you burned her bridges? I didn't burn my bridges, what? And she throws him out because he's so obtuse. And then he goes home and he calls her from home while she's in bed. And he's like, by making that fuss, you guaranteed she's going to have sex with that guy. I thought you were actively trying to do that to burn your bridges. How could you have not known that's what you were doing? And he and you can see from the look on his face, you're right. It's this total blind spot with him. He still doesn't believe it. Yeah, he just can't believe it. No. Because he, he did. No. <laughs> like, what? So you can imagine the asshole things he has done to his wife. I know. Prior to this, that he has gotten away with, and she's always taken him back. Yep. She's always taken him back. She's always forgiven him. Mm-hmm. You know? And... And so he, that's why he has the blind spot is because she has never made a stand. Yeah. And he can't believe that she is finally making a stand. Yeah. And we will see over the next three years how that that works out, out, right? Because this is never, I think she's in almost all episodes. I think so, yeah. I know the sun Um, is. Yeah, the son is, the daughter is. Yeah. Um, it really is as much about his family life as it is about the cases. And it does an unusually good job of navigating that in only a way where every episode being a movie could give you the time to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because he is an interesting character. And actually, the wife is too. Oh, God. Yeah. But it's, it just is, Penaglian is an interesting character. And I mean, he does this to her too. 
calling her by the wrong name all of the time all the time and yep. periodically she gets pissed off at him is it an easy name to say no but basic respect means they're british i know they i mean for us unwieldy names yeah come on worcester i know i know right uh so anyway uh, they uh so the next day oh fitz does go to the gamblers anonymous meeting and explains oh, his philosophy of gambling and it's like okay and he explains that it's the only good form of addiction because in every other in no other form of addiction do you get to win you lose your money and you wreck your body but in this form of addiction sometimes you win and when you win, you win because. No, no, it's what you, happens it came to out you. Of your head. Well, no, but it's like yeah. you won. I made this happen. So it's like I end up with more money, and it was my choice. How could? How dare you call this something wrong? Is basically his point of view. Meanwhile, we see him with his mother, where she's asking him to handicap the dog track. And him, and she's like, well, anything he picks is definitely going to be a loser, so I'll just make sure not to. And if he thinks something can't possibly win, I'll bet on that one. Yeah. Because <laughs> his mother knows that he's, uh, you know, always going to sabotage himself. And the real question with Fitz is, does he have bad luck? Right? Or does, yeah, I, I, no, I. Or is I, he sabotaging himself? Yeah, you have to almost assume that he's sabotaging himself. When his mother has that reaction. Yes, and uh, quite clearly, he probably went to the track with his mother. Yeah. But the the addiction thing part of it, right? The the adrenaline rush. I mean, mm -hmm. this is what he's talking about. And he starts to rev up all the guys in the, yeah. the addiction. And he says, your life is so bland and everything else. Just remember what it was like when you won and blah, 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 yep. blah. And he sets up a, a whole thing. And the therapist just sits there. And, and he sets watches. up, you know, he sets up um, the, okay. And I mean, this is real degenerate gambler stuff. If you can't get out to a racing track, literally you can have your little racing track whenever you want to yeah. by taking six cards from a deck and having everybody bet on those six cards and then shuffling those cards and see which one comes up first. Yeah, you can make your own, and you can make your own dog track or horse track whenever you want, and that's what he does at this meeting of gamblers anonymous. Yeah. Oh, it's so good, but it's like it, there's so much in that scene with his mother, even though it's a short scene, yeah. because you're like, yeah, oh, he got this because his mother, right, took him to the track all the time when he was a kid. Yeah, and I and it was the I, quality time he spent with his mother picking horses for her. You know, or when they whatever, were kids. You know? and, well, no, was she, I, of course she involved him in the picking horses or dogs or whatever. Yes, it's a cute thing to do with your kid. Shared. Of course she did. It's a shared interest. Yeah. You know, it's like doing a crossword puzzle together, except it doesn't lead to, you know, a lifelong addiction that will destroy people. Yeah. And whatever's wrong with him. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we'll. Yeah. We'll it, gradually it is, get to It's interesting that. watching how it acts up. And all you can assume is that ultimately he does sabotage himself mm -hmm. because he's he is definitely an addict you saw him at the you see him at the roulette wheel and he's winning and he's yep. winning and he's winning and rather than stopping he's got you know what something i don't remember what the end number was but it's like ten thousand pounds some insane amount sitting in front of him 
And he just, he can't be satisfied until he loses. Yeah. And yeah. then he wants more money. And then he wants more money. Although we have the fantastic moment where he walks up to the, the what do you call the guy who runs the front of house at a, you know, the, the floor boss or whatever. And yeah. he's like, I need you to bar me from the casino. <laughs> and the guy's like, I can't bar you from the casino. And so he flips over the domino table. Yeah. Like, okay, you're barred from the casino. <laughs> Such right, a nice little find someplace else to Of course he will. He's he's obsessed. Right. It's, yeah. And, and you else. do know that there has to be something wrong because whenever his life gets a little stressful. Yeah. He goes and he goes and does a bet somewhere. And he blows it up. With anything, you know, as yeah. they say with a lot of gamblers, you know, they'll yeah. bet. They'll I bet don't on know. literally anything. If you mean that, if you re remember the scene from, um, oh, the Salvation Army. Doll, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Dolls. Uh, guys and Dolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Where they bet. Yeah, right? where he, where he they... said he would bet on anything. And uh, so they try to trick him into a bet. Right yeah. over thing, and it's like I'm not going to take your sucker bet. And my one of my favorite moments in that entire movie, but I will bet you a thousand dollars if you can tell me what pattern bow tie you're wearing today. <laughs> and he couldn't remember, <laughs> so and he doesn't take the bet. Yeah, and so then, but he says he'll take any bet, and yeah. then so the Frank Sin so Frank Sinatra goes, okay, so you're going off to Cuba, Havana. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to take a girl to Cuba with you? I could take any girl to Cuba. And it's like, and I'll bet you $1,000. Okay. You can't and take a specific one I pick. Yes. And so then he, of course, picks the Salvation Army girl. Yeah. And, I mean, Marlon Brando did a really good job in this. He did. You know? he it's really just like did. he said, because he told the story about how his father always told him, don't take, don't take a sucker bet because one day, one day, one day, somebody is going to bet you that something or other. No, I'll tell you this. I'll do the line if you want, which is oh, yeah. that it's like uh, the we'll hand you a brand new pack of uh, of cards Unopened. still with the seal uh, on it. Yeah. Unopen it still with the seal on it. And he will bet you that he can make the jack of hearts pop out and shoot cider in your eye. And you might think it's impossible, but you're going to wind up with cider in your eye. Yeah. And so he looks at, he looks up and he says, dad, I got, it's cider actually in your ear. Ear, that's but it. But he yeah. says, dad, I, I got, got cider, cider in my ear. ear. He took the sucker bet. He it's a delightful movie. Like no yeah. question it's a delightful movie, but it's like, it does touch on this, you know, culture of degenerate gamblers. Oh yeah. They're all gamblers. eh? Who can't stop. Yeah. 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 And that's. It's it's fascinating because it's like I get the fun of gambling, but it's like it's the obsession I don't understand. No, like, you know, it's these people who who get addicted to the adrenaline rush, who are only alive when they're at the risk of losing, and they can't stay up because they can never stop. Because it isn't about. I'm not saying lose. it's not about the money. Well, they only stop when they run out of money. Yeah, like winning is just more money to gamble with. Yeah, so owning Mahoney. Now there's a movie. About the exact same subject. Oh, God. Maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman's best performance. Oh, that was... Him yes. and John Hurt in that movie. If it were a bigger, you know, mainstream movie, they would have been nominated for Oscars for that thing. That was brilliant. A lot of it takes place in Canada. Oh, yeah. It's a true story. Yeah. 
it's a true story about this guy, this, you know, guy from Canada who stole a bunch of money to keep gambling. Yeah. And John Hurt is so magnificent in that movie. Oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, just an incredible film. Uh, an incredible film about gambling addiction. Yeah, too bad that didn't get more press. Because, wow, what a movie. Yeah. All right, so what the important oh. part is, he's a degenerate gambler. Yeah. Uh, and the next day, we see them prepping, the killers prepping to kill the cop, both the, covering every surface in a room with um, garbage bags, you know, so they won't leave any evidence, and making a videotape that they're going to leave for the that they're going to leave for the cops to explain why they did it and how they have the greatest love that has ever been and they couldn't bear to be separated and this guy was going to catch them so obviously they had to kill him it was completely moral and it was self-defense yeah it was self-defense it was really self it was the weirdest it's so weird yeah you can see you can understand the explanation but yeah. it's weird mm-hmm Oh, it's so good. All right. So, I know. Uh, then we go through the next day, which is how where when some of the gambling and the stuff with his mother happens, but we've already jumped ahead with that. Yeah. So then we come to that night, and the cop shows up, uh, and of course, goes to her and gets himself murdered. Gets himself hit. Gets himself clubbed to death. Yep. Uh, oh, so brutal. It's so absolutely brutal. And then the next day, all of the cops find out about it. And oh, and of course, Penhaligon again has to go and do the notification. This because, time she's willing, sort of, because it's the wife the is a yeah. friend of hers. Yeah, yeah. She's she is close with this family and she's willing this time. It doesn't feel like they're just giving it to her because she's the woman on the team. Yeah, uh, but she goes. We don't see it. This uh, we don't see it, but it is you know uh, uh, expected to be awful and brutal. Yeah, and then they see the tape, and right away, like right away, Fitz knows who did it. Yeah. Oh right, but we forgot to mention one important thing, which is that he had the profile that it was two people, a man and a woman, with the killing. And before he went to the casino, we forgot to mention he went on TV. And the cops specifically told him not to give the profile on TV. Uh, but, but he, he went and he did it anyway. Of course he did. And he blamed the and he blamed the guy on TV, the guy with the talk show, for glamorizing crime. Which, you know, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> glamorizing crime and turning killers into celebrities. And I'm like, yeah, okay, Fitz, you're making a yeah, good point. I mean, it's what they did with Bonnie and Clyde. Exactly. Now, Bonnie, Clyde, of course, helped as well by writing. Of course. He kept writing all of this poetry. And sending it into newspapers and uh, creating uh, creating their own myth as they were becoming mythological figures. Like it was a very knowing thing they were doing. Yeah. Like she, the media was important to them, as it was to all of the bank robbers of the time. They thought of themselves as the uh, as the the Robin Hoods of their age. And spoiler alert, they kind of were. But it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Until you watch Long Riders. <laughs> Oh yes. Oh, watch uh, No, no, but but specifically, I'm I'm not talking about. Uh, this is not the old west. This is this is the 1920s Great yes. Depression era of bank robbers when the government had just screwed everybody out of all of their money. So before FDR came in, before yeah. FDR came in and fixed it, and you know said America can't be a capitalist hellscape, 
And then, you know, Republicans spent the next 80 years trying to turn America back into a capitalist hellscape. Spoiler yeah. alert, they did it. Uh, they pulled it off. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the thing that's so funny, though, is so he does that speech. And that's going to be important in a minute because he essentially this the moment the, that Fitz sees the videotape. Yeah. Like he knows who the killer must be. Yeah, he knows it's Sean. He knows it's Sean, and Sean and has a girlfriend. And it's probably Tina because, yeah. you know, um, but they don't know what Tina looks like yet. No, no, they didn't really encounter her because she, again, did not get caught for the bus incident. No. They they know he's got a girlfriend because she's the one who does the talking in the tape, but he's like, yeah, this is him. And then we get this fantastic scene where Penn Halligan and Beck, the two cops, are being yelled at by their boss because he's gotten wind that uh, Fitz made it very clear that Sean had to be put into care, yes. right? Have a psychiatric hold. And Beck was the one who made that not happen. And now a cop is dead because of Beck's mistake. Yeah. But Beck denies doing that that happened and Penhaligon covers for him. Yes. Oof. And Fitz, Fitz just sits there and says, nothing like a woman scorned. Yep. <laughs> and as they said, and I just love that it's like, well, if this were true, then obviously Fitz would be gloating about it. And he hasn't, so it must not be true. And I'm like, that's not actually a bad, uh, <laughs> that's not actually bad reading of Fitz as a character. Yeah. Uh, In but... this case, it doesn't hold. No, of course it doesn't hold, but you know, you understand why people would be willing to listen to that. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, looking to well, further yeah. herself and being even more self-destructive, now that he's been on television, right, uh, Tina has decided that Fitz has to go too. Yeah. And then we get just an amazing scene where she approaches him in a bar, mm -hmm. right? And, oh, you're the guy from television and claims to be a student and blah, 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 blah. And Fitz, you, you see him watching and talking to her. And he's like, uh, let's get a drink. I have to make a phone call first. Yeah. And then they sit down for the drink and they start talking. And he, of course, has known exactly what is going on this entire time. He has not been fooled for a moment. As he says, you claim to be a student, but you just, you know, bought me a $20 drink. <laughs> Yeah. Without blinking. It's 20 pound drink without blinking. No, obviously not. And so he, uh, so the cops walk up and she gets brought in and they've got her. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Sean was waiting in the car outside, in a car, in a stolen car outside, but he manages to speed off and not get caught. Mm -hmm. And uh, we see him, you know, freaking out and fleeing and, smashing up a car that almost hits him, but he does manage to escape. And now we get, you know, the cracker stuff. Yeah, the stuff we that get... we're all here for. Yeah. Oh. Oh my God, this scene. Uh, these This series of two scenes are so... Again, it's so excessively well-written. It's all, I know it's weird to call something excessively well-written, but I'm all, honestly saying, like, it feels like it's better written than it has to be, you know? Well, except, and, and well, the, the beauty of it is it makes, it's, the reason you're saying it's excessively well-written 
is because it is clear. It is so clear to the audience while still doing what it has to do, which is get under this girl's skin. Yeah. Find out things from this girl. Try to figure out who she is. Mm-hmm. It's still very clear. You can understand what he's doing. He's not using fancy schmancy words. Nope. He, he is building a rapport. He's building a rapport and you can clearly, the audience can just watch him slowly building the rapport. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen very often in writing, particularly around these issues. Right? But I, like this, it, the moment where she time. first mentioned, like when Bonnie and Clyde first comes up, right, yeah. just as a concept, and you see him like write something down, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a, a full like two minutes later, they get to the point where he's like, what's your favorite part? And it's like, and she's like that look they have with each other when they know they're going to, uh, about to get shot. Yeah. And then he holds up the piece of paper and he's written down the bit where they die at the end. (laughs) And it's like, again, I know someone wrote that. I know that that isn't really, that isn't a a genius person predicting something. I know this is all a contrived situation (laughs) that the writer has created, but it is written so beautifully that it yeah. feels as good as if it had really happened. Yeah. Because that's how thoroughly he has written this character and he has written this conversation. Yeah. It's it's one of, like, just these two scenes with him and her are so fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we never have to Spencer Cracker. <laughs> no, you never do. Ever, ever, ever. We don't have to do the psychological work here. <laughs> no, it's the it has been so thoroughly covered and so thoroughly thought through but yeah and then we get this beautiful uh and we don't get into where she's from and what she is just yet but she does give the biggest clue that she was born to be a dog and it's like what can that possibly mean possibly mean yeah but that is the thing she says about where she comes from the one thing she's willing to say about herself yeah Oh, God. And you're going, oh, my God, what does that mean? And you don't make the connection. No, you don't make the connection. Even though they pointedly showed us that dog earlier in the episode. Yeah. All right. So. She didn't want to be born. She didn't ask to be born. She she was born to be. She was born to be a dog. Yep. Oof. So, you know, it's not going to be good, but you're not prepared for where this is going. No. Uh, so it gets great. I mean, obviously it gets great because we then get this fantastic scene of, you know, Sean freaking out and not knowing what to do. And he tries to call Fitz because Fitz gave him his card. Yeah. Uh, and he tries to call Fitz and the phone rings and then Fitz's son collapses. And Fitz's son collapses because he has appendicitis. Yeah. And you can say it's contrived, right? But the episode needs him to miss this phone call. And it was going to be Fitz's son had appendicitis, or it was going to be he was at the track, or it was going to be... Remember, like, Fitz didn't give him his beeper number. Fitz doesn't have a beeper, you know? (laughs) There were no cell phones at the time this was made. He's calling Fitz's house, and Fitz wasn't home. And And he's calling from a pay booth. Pay phone, exactly. A phone booth, yes. And so... Consequently, it doesn't really matter why he's not there, 
But just for the narrative, it's convenient that it's his son has appendicitis because it forces Fitz and his wife to be in the same room so that they can have a conversation about dinner the other night and him uh, or her quote unquote cheating on him. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's Although not really it's fair to call it cheating. No, I wouldn't call it cheating. No. Um, what is interesting, right, though, is that if you were thinking about it, it is better that it was something serious, like, because I'm not sure that you would forgive Fitz, Fitz if he, if he was just track. drinking. Yeah, it needs or to be Or he was drinking enough. and missed the phone call. Whereas, yeah, you his know, son here, being hospitalized, we're not going to blame Fitz for missing this phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh. there so, was nothing more important than, mm -hmm. you know, getting his son to the hospital and in the operating room. Exactly. And then we get a fun scene of uh, the killer, right? Uh, getting really furious and uh, attacking and probably killing. We never actually find out nope. a guy at a gas station, a gas station attendant. Yeah, he, and he should find out if he killed that guy or not. But no, he all, but he uh, drives. He backs into the place, wrecking it up, and he pointedly collects a bunch of gas cans. Which he then and, fills and, up. And 20 packs of Benson and Hedges. And 20, pa 20 pack of Benson and Hedges, yes. Which is what he was demanding before he assaulted the guy. Yeah. Uh, but yes, so we know something bad's going to happen, but the kid's going to be fine. The son's going to be fine. He had appendicitis, but he will be okay, so there's nothing to worry about. And uh, this, you know, close call has made the wife suddenly be willing to consider coming back to Fitz, but they're not really willing to have that conversation uh, just yet. That'll happen soon. Uh, but it does get down to, like, uh, uh, she's suspicious that he is going to use their son's illness to try to get her to come home. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and she's right. And she's right. Of course she's right. She knows him. Yep. Because uh. all he does is wheel and deal with people. He manipulates people. Like, he he became, and again, I'm interested to see how much we find out about his youth. Because I don't remember that from the show, but I'll be interested to see if that plays in at if all. If we given, ever find out why yeah, if we find out, yeah, what was going on with his parents. Because we saw well, this little bit of his mother, and I'd like yeah, to but his mother, yes, she bet, but it wasn't as if his, I mean, she's still in her home and everything. Exactly. It's not like she's a degenerate gambler, so was oh. the father? Like, is this hereditary? Is this something that... You know, the family curse, as it were. But anyway, uh, the important part is, right, he's killed somebody else. He has to, uh, so uh, Fitz has to go back and talk to Tina and find out where Sean is. Meanwhile, we see Sean rushing into, we know what he's going to do, because we see him rushing to the house we saw them go to earlier, the parents' house. But unfortunately, the parents aren't there anymore. They have moved out, and a new family just moved in two weeks ago. And so we know that he's going for some kind of attack or revenge on the family. Yes, we don't and, know specifically and, why. And and it is very it is very interesting to note mm -hmm. that he does not. I mean, he scares this couple. Oh, he scares them, but he just wants he to know where the family is. Yeah, he doesn't hurt he them doesn't at all. Kill them. He doesn't do anything like that. No. So. He never threatens them. No. I mean, he, again, uh, it's it's weird how selective his rage can be. 
but it's like he's clearly on a mission at this point and mm -hmm. he's not going to start, you know, just randomly hurting people. Yeah. And that is a nice touch. And so we get the second Fitz and Tina scene, which is as as well written as anything you will see on television. Yeah. And you have to wonder, like, can you, uh, right, can you make us sympathize with a character who is as monstrous as she is? Because let's face it, as bad a time as Sean was having, if he doesn't meet her, he doesn't become a murderer. No. Now, fundamentally, she, she became, because of the way she lived, uh, she needed to control somebody, and she found somebody she can control. And she rationalizes it as this great love, but Sean is completely under her control, and that's what she likes about their relationship. Yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting. It's always that you make the case for so many couples that end up i mean that's the case they always make with um uh charles um you know badlands charles oh yes yes uh yeah yeah charles starkweather starkweather yes yeah, you know and and how much and did she drive him to yeah all of the movies it's either well it's not always the woman that drives that pushes it it's basically you always have these men who do have the violence in them yeah right and, and they're waiting for someone to tell them how to direct it yeah and then they get into situations they find somebody who's got problems the same and then between the two of them they end up mm -hmm. killing spree and yeah. you know they've made movies different types of movies about the stark weather of course situation you Bad know, badlands true romance my personal favorite, The Frighteners. And 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 Natural Born Killers. Natural Born Killers, yeah. Like, that's all the exact same type of... It's all yeah. based on this same story. Yeah. It's a little different when you sort of look at the Bonnie and Clyde. It's kind of hard to figure that one out. Yeah. Some ways. Um, because it was so much earlier. And it was kind of accidental. In yeah. Ways. And... Whereas with Starkweather, it's clear because they killed her family. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how it all started. Yeah. Like, the, the problem is, because it was the 1920s and we didn't have the same kind of media, yeah. we never really got to find out what was going on in Bonnie's life and her backstory that yeah. turned her into this. Yeah. That there had to have been something. Yeah. You know? Like, maybe there was this specific same kind of abuse as with the... Um, Stark, oh God, what was her name? Stark I don't Weathers. know because all I can see is Juliet Lewis in uh, Lewis Natural, Born, in Killers. Natural Born Killers with Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a brilliant sequence in a very uneven movie. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a deeply uneven movie, but nobody's going to tell you that's not a brilliant sequence. No, and, and yeah, it's it also doesn't doesn't know where it is, but it, yeah. It, doesn't even though it's called natural born killers all you see is how these people were I know, right? raised and how, how the hell did they not become, how could they not have ended up as murderers if they got the, together yeah. yeah yeah you know that's that that's the weird thing about that movie it's like criminal minds can't make up its mind i know right where it's like no. it's uh it's interesting because yeah like the it is a movie that very openly, but again, it, that movie in a way you can say is about the dichotomy because 
Yeah. We are, as you say, the characters say one thing and then we are shown quite the opposite over and yeah. over and over again. And so we're supposed to sort of make up our minds. Yeah. Although it's really not that hard to make up your mind. Uh, but yeah, so. Watch it. And, so and now when you're he watching, breaks her down. He breaks her down. Oh, in a, is... I mean, to, to try and quote this would be insane. Just watch this scene. It's yeah. so good. And we find out her story. Just go to just go and watch part three if this is all you want to see. It's in the third episode. We find out her story, which is that her sister was born blind. Yeah. And so they had another child to take care of the sister. Yeah. Oh. And then replace the sister with a dog. Well, she did leave, but yes, yes she well, was no, replaced she with a dog. And she was replaced with a dog, but as this horrible idea, like of everything, she, like her whole life was describing things to her sister. Yeah. So it's like she never got to experience anything for herself. Her whole life was looking at things so that her sister could experience them. She yeah, was and, there just to give her sister experiences. And yeah, that. And it, when Fitz gets to the core of it, that eventually, like, you end up hating beautiful things yeah. because that is your responsibility and you want the world to be boring and ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, and I will tell you that, and this makes the scene in the first episode so much worse because those parents mm -hmm. send her upstairs yeah. to meet to see her sister yep right and her sister standing at the top of the stairs with the dog yep and what we don't understand is that that is cruelty yep that is emotional see cruelty. you've been replaced by a dog you see you've been replaced by a dog we don't need you here yep. and anymore and what happened? It, yeah, it completely recontextualizes that scene and makes you oh, understand. Yeah. It, is, it is vicious. There was some. Oh. There, there is um, and the only one I can compare it to, and I don't want to anybody to go and read a book called The Road Less Traveled. Okay. Okay. Because this thing should have been burned. It's but <laughs> never mind. Oh, it became a book? big. It became a big big hit and everything else and the road yeah. traveled and blah 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 but he tells the story of these parents who had two sons right they had the eldest son who was the favorite and then the younger son who just was there right mm -hmm. the elder son anyway the elder son accidentally or probably not accidentally committed suicide with okay. a shotgun <sighs> Ah. He committed suicide. The parents gave the shotgun that the eldest son used to commit suicide to their younger son. Jesus. Right? This is, I mean, this is a, and I mean, the therapist is explaining all of this, right? And that the kind of emotional beating people. Can yeah. Do, and that's what this is. Yeah. It's the exact it, same it's kind of the thing. Same thing. Yeah. See, we've replaced you with a dog. Yep. What do we <sighs> care about you? I mean, it's just like it it when you get to this point, this last episode, and you go back and revisit that first scene with her mm -hmm. parents, 
you know, and um, and her parents are now at the at the jailhouse. Yeah, but before we get there, and it's important, right? Like, because her her last scene with the parents. Oh my god. Yeah. But it's just like him uh, begging her to say where Sean is and what Sean's going to do. Yeah. Right. And I mean, you could, if you wanted to quibble, you could say, well, after that story, it's kind of clear what Sean's going to do. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he needs the confirmation. And the time between the story ending mm -hmm. and Sean, her telling what Sean is going to do is, is 90 seconds. So it's fine. He didn't lose yeah. any meaningful amount of operational time. But the key is, it's like what he is able to say to her where he's like, once he's heard that, he's like, here's what I can do, right? Bef you're obviously both going to spend the rest of your lives in prison. There's no way that's not going to happen. But if you want, I can get you and Sean an hour to be together before, you know, you both get sent to the men's and women's prisons, right? I will give you that. And then she, you know, is tempted. And then, but you get the key thing is that I can teach, uh, he says to her that I can teach you how not to hate yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I, it was it just, I mean, there, there aren't any false moments. Oh, that moment though. Yeah. You know, I, I, oh. in so many, I can tell you not how to not, not hate yourself. Hate you. Wow. That I mean it's just so beautiful. Like it really is. It's so beautiful and it's so well done. And so she she says where Sean is, and where Sean is is at the family residence. Well, he she what she tells them is Sean is going to kill my sister. Yeah. And they don't know where she doesn't know exactly where Sean is yet. But that's but now, the end. Yeah, that moment, is the end point is, of his plan. This is his end game. Mm -hmm. He's going to kill my sister. Yeah. And um, so. The parents show up. The parents show up. You see the sister out walking with, I guess, a boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and you see Sean stalking the sister and the boyfriend. And then we get her reaction to her parents arriving, which is to just bark at them. Yeah. Jesus, this episode. It doesn't let you off for a second. Not for a second. And you oh. understand, and they just closed in on her face, and all she does is bark. Yeah. So, uh, the parents try to call her to warn, sister to warn about Sean, but Sean has just gotten there at exactly the same time. Hey, remember that scene from uh, I Saw the Devil? It's literally the exact same scene. <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, and so Sean, you know, she's blind, so there's literally nothing she can do. He, he knocks her down and he starts pouring gasoline everywhere, pointedly on himself as well, because he doesn't want to live. Yeah. And then, you know, the police get there moments later and they call him up and he says he will only talk to Fitz. Yeah. He doesn't want to talk to anybody, but he will talk to Fitz. And so Fitz is like, I'm not going in there. First rule of hostage negotiation is don't, don't, is don't, to, don't put yourself in danger. And, and, and like, Eccleston says, where's that? It's my first it's rule. It's my first rule. 
Although uh, I think my favorite line in there is all of these people uh, are too, uh, right? Brave people are all just people who are too scared to, you know, not be brave. Well, I'm not too, no, too scared to admit that they're cowards. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> afraid. I've got no problem admitting that I'm a coward. Such a good line. And then the, oh. uh, then the you know, Christopher Eccleston says he'll go in. Yeah. Um, and the parents are sitting there crying and then Fitz yeah. finally agrees. Okay, I'm the yeah, only okay. person who will talk to. Yep. And they find out that not only yes. Oh, right, right. Um, it doesn't matter. And this is the important part. There's a gas heater that clicks yes. on at 6 p.m. And he has filled the place. He not only has poured gasoline everywhere, he's filled the place with natural gas from the stove. Meaning yeah. that when the heater clicks on, it's gonna blow up the house, irrelevant, like irrespective of his plans. Yeah. Because the air is full of gas, natural yeah. gas. So there is a clock in five minutes, this house is blowing up and they better be out of there before it happens. Like, cause the house is like, you could turn off the stove at this point, the house is already full of gas. It's not gonna matter. Yeah. And so they clear out all of the other houses and Fitz goes in. And again, it's a, like, who is this writer? You know? <laughs> like, who can write this scene that he has? Well, it's the same uh, writer for all of them. I know. Well, no, I know, but I'm just saying, I, who is yeah. he that he is able to put together this scene with this character of walking in there and just telling Sean, I, they're just, just laying out who Sean is in, I mean, you look at the amount of words he actually says in six sentences, who Sean is, what Sean wants, why Sean's not actually going to kill this woman, right? And the only question is, will you come out with me and see Tina one more time, or are you going to die right here? Mm -hmm. Like, that's yeah, all I mean, we're really talking about. Because right now. Sean is going, yeah, but because he says, okay, and he takes the sister and he says, oh, and shoves her out the door. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then, and said, and Sean is screaming, but I'm going to, I'm going to set us all on fire. And that's when Fitz just tells him, look, at six o'clock. It doesn't matter what it doesn't matter. Do. We're so, all done. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyone here is going to die yeah. if you're still here. So, yeah. But it's just that moment where Sean is a follower. Sean does get told what to do. And Fitz knows he can just grab the sister as like, as long as he is not threatening to personally to Sean. Yeah. As long as he's not attacking Sean. As long as he just states stuff as things that are going to happen the same way Tina manipulated him, he knows that he can just say to Sean, I'm, I'm taking this girl out of here. And he can just present it as a fait accompli and it's going to happen. And that's exactly what he does. But, and I mean, this is why Fitz is such a wonderful character. He does not, he, he is free to walk out at that moment. Mm -hmm. There's nothing keeping him in there. And as much as he talks about being a coward, he stays in the apartment for the, uh, sorry, in the house for the next two minutes, trying to convince Sean to come out with him. Yeah. And of course, Sean doesn't. No, he just sits there and looks at the clock waiting for it to hit six. And, but as he says, which was so good, that wonderful moment uh, where Sean says that it's like, what could I say in an hour this is a far more meaningful statement. Blowing myself up says more than speaking for an hour with her ever could. Mm -hmm. like, damn, this episode is 
Yeah, because he even writes a full confession stating it was all his idea. Yeah, he says it was all his idea and he doesn't want her to be punished. Of course, we know that's not true. We know none of it was his idea. But, you know, he's happy to die for her. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, this episode. And Fitz runs out. And... He doesn't run out. He walks out. Because he's hoping that he's going to get blown up on one level. And he's hoping that Sean is going to come out and he's going to be able to rescue Sean. Like we, or, and, or. We can debate why Fitz doesn't run, but Fitz doesn't run. No, no, you're right. He doesn't run. Because, and everyone's yes, yelling because they're at him yelling run, at him to run. To run. And he doesn't do it. And he doesn't. He just keeps walking. Well, uh, okay. Now, now we get to the point of, does he actually have? Because we know he sabotages himself with gambling. He's yep. wrecking his marriage. I mean, he he's, deliberately he's, goes out and does things to wreck his marriage. Um, he is eating badly. He is drinking too much. He is smoking. He is, is he trying to destroy himself? Yeah, is he trying to destroy himself? And this, if this happened accidentally, quote, um, in air quotes, um, mm -hmm. then, you know, so be it. Then I'm he didn't sure. technically kill himself. No, and he would be a hero. Mm -hmm. He got the girl out. Oh, yeah. And he would have died he, a hero had he died right then. Yes, and he just and, and he just miscalculated the timing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you... You can certainly make an argument for that, uh, but at the same time, in his brain, he's probably telling himself that he's waiting, he's hoping that Sean is going to come out. That is my assumption, that he's yes. giving and Sean he's every grab. chance, and he's going to grab Sean and pull him away. Yeah, I think that at the um, at the conscious level, that's what Fitz, why Fitz is walking so slowly. He wants to be able to he was hoping that Sean yeah. would listen, but Sean didn't. He just sat there and looked at the clock right until it ticked over. Yeah. And then oh. blew up and um Yeah. And then we uh we get a bit more with Fitz and his wife, who has agreed to come home. Yeah, well, that was before. That was before. We that was before, but it, it, we missed it. that. So we we missed because we were rushing through the Tina stuff because it's also good. Oh, because it's also good. Let let's let's go back and revisit that because that was some um, really that powerful. Was too too good. good. That was just to not bring up. Yeah, to not bring up. So, um, Fitz is going to is just before he goes in to talk to Tina. Yeah, she comes in and she says we have to talk, and he says, "Well, I've got to do no." We have to talk now. Mm -hmm. And so they start talking. And she explains to him, I think in this scene, first of all, that that restaurant thing, he said, she says to him, Fitz, you always need an audience. And we were your audience. And I had a role to play in it. She might have said that earlier on. Yeah. But at this point, she says, I'm going to come back. But mm -hmm. everything has to be up front and everything has to be on the table. And I have to tell you that I slept with this guy. Yeah. I sort of secondarily had second thoughts about sleeping with this guy. And yes, he manipulated me. I know that. But, and, mm -hmm. you know, and the rest of it. And then Fitz can't cope. And nope. he goes, and this is what men do. And this is what I'm doing, right? And he can't stand the fact that his wife went and slept with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Hasn't stopped him from having affairs. Nope. 
Right. And he gives this whole speech about how. Oh my God. About how That's I not. don't like what is what is telling me to accomplish except for me feeling worse. Yes. I don't want to know. And you know your guilt. You know it's like your guilt is not import more important than my feelings. And Jesus Christ, this. Oh, yeah, and he, but she just she does she just completely stands up to him. Yep. She doesn't let him get away with this, and she says, nope. "Well, fine." You know no. she's not gonna she's not going to get down on her hands and knees and beg him to take her back. No. But what he is describing is how he's feeling and he's feeling betrayed and he's angry mm -hmm. and he's never going to be able to trust her again. And he's, you know, he goes through, he does step one, step two, step three, step, step one four. through six of the normal male reactions to yes, his Yes. And are, are those kids, have you done this to me before? Are those kids really mine? Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. He's, and he's doing all of this himself. Mm -hmm. and, but she was, I, it was a but just the really, brutality of her doing that and then him saying that oh, I don't even need you for the rest of this I can do the rest of this relationship stuff myself and that's when he gives the list of six things yeah like the next six parts of how this goes and you're like Jesus Christ Fitz. well just because it's like when I talk like there's my there's there's my own personal reactions now I know uh all the reasons, like there are people, and I will sometimes say, I cannot fathom why. Now, I can give you, like, why somebody is doing X and behaving X, Y, and Z. I don't yeah. understand it. That's a personal reaction. It's like you mm -hmm. say, you can't understand gambling. It's the same yeah. thing. Now, I can give you all sorts of explanations. I can give you all of the clinical explanations for why this is happening. But at a gut level, I still don't get yeah. it. You don't feel it. I don't. And I think yeah. that's part of what why this scene is so interesting. Yeah. And yes, so cruel. Because essentially what Fitz is saying is that because like all of these things proceed along this track normally and we're just following this track, that both of their feelings don't matter. That it's just that we're all just play acting these scripts because all of this is so standardized. And that's why it's so hurtful because he's trying to pretend he doesn't have feelings about all of this by clinicalizing it. And at the same time, he's erasing her feelings that led her to do the things she did. Yeah. Plus, somehow or another, all of the things he's done to her. Don't matter. To, don't yeah, matter yes. that her sleeping with this guy one time. Mm -hmm. is more and bigger and more important than anything else that he's done to her. But and it's we've like, already seen... It all comes down to what a selfish narcissist fits yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. He's so manipulative. He's so cruel. Like, everything. And he's so um, hedonic, only chases after immediate pleasures. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like he... He ticks all of the bo boxes for oh. the worst personality types. But, and I mean, this is what we get back to uh, is, I mean, I'm going to say something slightly weird. And you tell me what you think about it. It's like, is this character one of the, the not no longer recognized jumping off points for what people call the, like, the troublesome man, you know, anti-hero man like cable dramas 
where there's this guy who everything, like everything in his life is terrible, right? And he is a toxic in, uh, influence that damages everything around him, but we keep watching him because he's good at his job. Like, is Cracker where that thing started? That was, That's interesting to think about. I'm trying to think because... For example, Tony Hill isn't one of those characters. No. He isn't one of those male anti-heroes at all. No. He's a good guy. He's got problems and he's trying to deal with them, but he's not a bad person. No. Fitz is a bad person in the exact same way that Tony Soprano and Walter White and Saul Goodman and um, Don Draper are. Like, is this the jumping off point for that very specific kind of cable drama anti-hero built television? Well, that, that's interesting. I mean, I'd have to give it some more thought. Um, well, I mean, like, I'm I trying think... to figure out, is there anything before? Because I've never, because I didn't like The Sopranos. Yeah, but this is this is like six years before The Sopranos. Yes, no, no, that's what I mean. So what, so it could easily be that kind of dropping off point, particularly since they did make um, the American version of an American like version of it that didn't was such a disaster. Succeed. Yeah. It just didn't succeed. Because you and couldn't do it on network television. You couldn't do what this show does on network television. Yeah. And so, but I'm looking, I'm thinking about it. And I would assume that people who write for HBO and the rest. Must have all watched Cracker. Or right? some Everybody of these guys. Some of these guys would have watched somewhere. Somebody would have watched this sort of thing. And it was already there in some of the. In books, right? Well, of course it's there in books. Yeah, it starts earlier in books than it makes it to TV, but Cracker made it and made it successfully. Like this, this is definitely- This was a giant hit. Everybody watched Cracker. Yeah. Like it was huge for those three years. Yeah. And yeah, because you wanted to know what was going to happen and how he was going to screw his- And again, when we get to the first episode of season two- Again, the episode that everybody talked about, uh -huh. you know? Oh, God. And it yes. might be because, you know, I mean, PBS shows all this stuff. How do you, A&E would show British stuff. Yeah. Um, A&E now, God knows mm -hmm. what they show. Um, <laughs> but I know, time, right? Or PBS, A&E, that kind of thing. Yeah, and we, that's how we saw Wire. Yeah, that's how we saw Wire originally. I think so. Yeah. yeah. The and, question you know, becomes like, what did, like, who was watching this, and is this show like the missing link to the start of the golden age of television? Because everyone, I think, all television critics now recognize that the modern age of television was kicked off by Wise Guy and its creation of story arcs. Yeah. Like that, that is what everyone recognizes as, okay, well, that was the birth of modern television. The story arc melding the must watch it with the, uh, of the miniseries with the drop in ability of weekly television. Yeah. Like wise guy created that. Everyone recognizes that, but it's like the, the big kick, the inspiration for prestige television. Was it this, where it's this episodic kind of show that has a through line from week to week of the character relationships, even as each week they're, you know, dealing with this different red ball situation. Like, because that is what all of these shows are. We are focusing oh. on like, hey, I watched six season of Hunter. Nobody ever grew or changed. You yeah. know? <laughs> Where it's, it's like- Crawford barely grew. 
Yeah, barely. I mean, I don't know that he did, yeah. right? The move, even because even on the weekly dramas, the big change that happened after Prestige Television kicked off is we saw character change and growth and big swings. And it's like a constant reshuffling of interpersonal dynamics, right? From we from season to season that like you didn't get in classic television, that you didn't get on Barney Miller, that you didn't get on Quincy, that you didn't even get, you know, for really on Hill Street Blues. No. You know, I mean, Hill Street Blues, great show, but it's like only the really soapy shows like um, St. Elsewhere, but those were soap operas. So you expect change. And besides, it was all a dream, remember? <laughs> I know, don't St. Elsewhere was, 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 it was, was all a dream. And yeah. in the imagine, well, it wasn't Nation a dream. Of an it was in the imagination of, of Tommy Westphal. Child looking in a globe. Snow globe. Snow globe. <laughs> so ridiculous. Of St. Elsewhere and creating all of this. All of these fantasies. Going, yeah. Okay, I don't know. I just don't know. Death. Feel like you're wasting our time here, show. Thanks for yeah, that. After, <laughs> yeah, you just destroyed the entire show when you Dallased it, you know? I know, <laughs> No, but it's like soap operas were always their own thing, you know, That's even exactly. nighttime soaps yeah. that were separate from this. Because what when you had this hybrid thing was it was a procedural. So late week to week there would be a new case, but you'd have these interesting character dynamics that were constantly evolving that was coming off of the right, that's part of the overall story arcs. And I really feel like this might be one of the big jumping off points that introduced. Uh, well, that it concept. might be, because what it proved was that you could have you, it even proved that you could have like this episode, like sometimes they did two for a story. This one had three for a story. They yeah. do other threes. Yeah. You know, in the season. So that, and and it was shown in the 47, 48 minute. Um, versions. Yeah. Versions. Uh, it was Granada. Right. And so it, and people would come back and watch it. Mm-hmm. Right now, I mean, of course, initially Americans try and take British things and transpose them and it happens. It is not successful very often. I mm -hmm. think like the office were, but some things are successful, but this stuff isn't going to necessarily be successful. But if you put it on cable, yeah, I, you know, and you work. find a character that's more accessible to the American audience, which Tony yeah. Soprano clearly, right? That's was for whatever reason. And we all watched it, but as yeah. I said, no interest in watching it again. No, we're uh, never going to go back and rewatch The Sopranos. No, no, no. It's not going to happen. Why but would you? Watching uh, this, I mean, we love Tony Hill, and Tony Hill's fantastic, but at the end of the day, I, I predict that we're going to come away from this rewatch saying that. Cracker is probably the best ever show about profiling. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like two episodes in, I might so like, far. how bad is this, that third season going to have to be? And that uh, reunion movie going to have to be for us to not say that? Well, it's always reunion movies that screw things up, you know? Yeah. Well, they did a reunion movie in 2003 or 2006. I don't remember when it was. So there is, so we're going to get through like the three seasons and then we are going to watch a movie. So. Of course. There is more to talk about. Uh, but yeah, what the hell are we going to watch after this? After the high of this? We'll and then they tracked down the NBC show Profiler. Oh. 
That would be weird. That would be weird. Oh, I know. Watch Profiler. Oh, it was so hard to watch. Yeah. But hey, we like Robert Davi. No matter what his politics are, we still really like Robert Davi. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know, um, did we mostly watch Profiler because it was on right before or after The Pretender? Yes. The Pretender Pretender was was the best show. Such a good show. Yes. The Pretender was actually really good. Yeah, uh, I don't that's know. one of those things where I almost dread going back and watching. It's like, what if it wasn't as good as I remember? And I'm like, yeah, but you still have um, Sydney, so I'm gonna love it no matter what. <laughs> Patrick Buchow is Sydney, like yeah. the best character. Yeah, <laughs> like the villain who is 100% on the hero's side. Oh yeah, no, he was he was great, and he was always great. Everything else that he was in as well. Oh yeah, Patrick Bucha was has I, always been amazing. I mean, but here when you start to like, I'm starting to think about shows, and I'm not thinking about too many. There's the one that Anna Gunn was in. Yeah, the FBI alien thing, or multiverse thing. Yeah, you know, but fringe. Fringe, thank you, fringe. Couldn't remember. I couldn't remember all these people, right? Yeah. I mean, it had its high points. It had its low points, etc. There are other things we could start looking at. Some of the Korean stuff. Yeah. Go back to another Korean show. That'd be interesting. We, we have a lot of options. Yeah, there which, are uh, options. We, but for now, we will just focus on Cracker. Oh, Because yeah. Cracker is so good, you can't believe it. Yeah. It's like, again, I, I shouldn't have dreaded going back and like, because I mean, we talked about this last week, me being worried that it wasn't as good as I remembered it. And then you watch the first episode and you're like, okay, this is a really uh, good show. Yeah, yeah. And then you watch the second episode and you're like, oh, this might be the best thing I've ever watched. Yeah. You know, like it, it's up there with, with Wise Guy. Oh, uh, there is one other scene we forgot um, to mention, okay. which was Fitz. Doing a class on how to not fire someone. Oh, that was funny. Eh? It was just a funny scene, though. Like, it was just this little scene where it looks like Fitz is being fired from his university, like, associate professorship or yeah. whatever the hell his job is at the university. Yeah. Right? It, it uh, was being made redundant because there were budget cuts. Exactly. There were and, having uh, money problems. But it's just like getting to the point where he's going to shoot himself in the head. Yes. And then turning to the crowd and saying, okay, you know, he didn't do a very good job of firing me. This is not how you fire someone. (laughs) Such a good scene. Yeah. But then again, it's not like there are bad scenes in this show. No, but they just throw those little things in in some ways to give you a bit of a breather. Yeah. Well, no, it's the same thing with the casino scene. Yeah. The same thing with the casino scene, right? But... but the casino scene, again, it shows his self-destruction. And the scene with the um uh the scene with the, the in the support group is there to show us that he's comfortable ruining other people's lives to prove himself right. Yeah. You know, the scene in this sequence is it's like he's willing to blow up a, a situation because he's not handling this, he's being way over the top in his, you know, training methods. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it just, you know, to show off. <laughs> like, if he can put someone down to make himself feel smart, he'll happily do that. He's not a good guy. By any like, stretch. Fundamentally, he's not a good guy. 
So yeah, a uh, compelling show. Really, really compelling. All right. Uh, so that's going to be that for episode two, To Say I Love You, uh, based on the title is inspired by the song uh, I just called To Say I Love You, in case you're wondering. Uh, and and at the beginning, the he, he's, he's singing, he's singing, um, at the beginning though, yes, at the end they go, I just yeah. called to say I love you, but in the beginning, they are playing, he, what he's singing for karaoke, Yeah, How I Love You, um, right, it's yes. at the Moody Blues, I think. Yeah. It's not what well, there's there's a bunch of no, uh, but there's a bunch of music in this episode yeah. because again, music is all he can is one of the only all he can only communicate through music and violence. Yeah, you know, and the music gets taken away from him metaphorically when the trophies are stolen, and so he just goes down a path of violence. Yeah, because she's more aroused by the she's so full of anger that she's more aroused by the violence than she is by the kindness in the music. Yeah. <sighs> such a good episode all right all right all right we, we do have to stop um anyway that's that it's been an amazing episode if you didn't watch and we spoiled the whole thing watch it anyway because line by line like every line is so well crafted and so well delivered that it is just a pleasure to watch the show so it's always worth re-watching the show but you have to be able to take a lot of violence and a lot of bleak situations uh oh and the one other thing is um Penhaligon, the reason she was willing, you know, feeling needy and willing to sleep with Fitz is that uh, she applied to become a detective inspector because she's a detective sergeant. Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone's thought is it's a year too early mm -hmm. for her to do that, is what everyone says. And uh, Christopher Atkinson says in six months, uh, six months, maybe in a year, definitely. But it's too early now. And she... Uh, like she is feeling a huge amount of lack of self-confidence in that moment. In case even you're wondering why she is she agrees, willing to, even she, agrees, she agrees, but she still has taken a real hit to her confidence. If you're wondering why she's willing to sleep with Fitz, yeah. they, they do even explain that. <laughs> All right. So that's that. Um, if you, uh, as always, thanks for watching. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling-related fiction you'd like to suggest we check out, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. If you listen to this on some sort of an app or podcatcher, please rate and review. That's how people find the show. We'll see you back here next week for more Cracker, but until then, I'm going to say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.